Hi, everybody. Welcome to the April 19th, 2019 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on Governor Jared Polis joining the growing reaction to the University of Colorado Regents naming Mark Kennedy as a sole finalist to replace President Bruce Benson. Polis tweeted that he hopes the Regents can find a candidate that unites the board, noting the growing dissension within the Board of Regents on the decision. Patty Calhoun from Westward, does Mark Kennedy survive the growing controversy? Can I just not answer that question, which is what Mark Kennedy said when he was asked by CPR about affirmative action? The, the regents who presented such a solid facade for about 30 seconds when the news leaked are scrambling to their corners now. I would not want to be Mark Kennedy coming to visit Colorado, the, his triumphant tour, before he's finally, finally approved next week. It is going to be very, very tricky, and it doesn't look like he has any option to go back to North Dakota. Uh, that, that door does seem to be shut. You're right. David Copel from the Independence Institute and, and DU Law School, it's good to have you back. Conservatives have thrived as CU president before, uh, Bruce Benson, before him, Hank Brown, but it seems almost that the process of getting to Mark Kennedy has dogged him as much as any vote voting record from a decade ago. What do you think? Um, I, I think it shows the continuing problem uh, and the failure of Bruce Benson and uh, Hank Brown as presidents uh, because there's a continuing problem of lack of intellectual diversity at CU. They have one token conservative professor, which is great. It's like the University of Mississippi having a black professor in 1890 as a visitor for two years, but everything else is homogenous, and what you're seeing is the freaked out reaction of somebody who might be different from the homogeneity ideologically of CU. You know, notwithstanding the fact that CU doesn't create abortion laws, so how he voted about that doesn't really have anything to do with uh, how good a job he would do as a college president, but at least he'd be a signal that at least one person on campus is allowed not to think like this conformist uh, mob uh, insists. And if, they, if he's not going to be a good campus president, that should be based on evaluation of how he did as president of North Dakota and his prior education administration, which he's been in for a decade. Eric Sonnen, political analyst, how has Mark Kennedy handled the kerfuffle and the flare-up so far? Well, the real test is going to come this coming week when he's in town for four days or something like that. Uh, the Colorado Public Radio interview, parts of it were okay, but then there was the one, I think Patty's word is kerfuffle or whatever, the, 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 the lapse where I didn't know that if you realized that the tape was just going to roll and continue uh, to roll here. I think, you know, comparing this to Bruce Benson, Hank Brown, even John Beekner, others uh, of a conservative persuasion, it just speaks to the polarized time we're living in where everything is more on fire. If he survives, Dominic, it's because the Board of Regents is the one sort of last oasis of Republican control in the state of Colorado. It's the one body that they still control, and they may just jam him through. To David's point, real quickly, I, I largely agree uh, on the, you know whether it's uh, LGBTQ uh, rights mm -hmm. or the abortion issue. Not terribly relevant, and particularly with regard to LGBTQ. His position back in 04 when he voted on that was no different than Barack Obama's position and a whole lot of other people's position at that point in time. So to hang him out to dry for that is maybe not fair. Natasha Gardner, Articles Editor at 5280. Does Mark Kennedy become the next president of the CU system? 
Well, I think next week will be the ultimate decider on that. There's certainly things up in the air. I mean, I don't think, uh, I think opinions can change. I think that um, necessarily those votes don't mean everything, but those votes should be questioned in today's context of what his job would entail. Because the president is a unique job. I mean, you're essentially the cheerleader for, for the school. So um, a question that I would ask as a reporter is that even if you have a personal bias against some sort of research or program at your school, could you be a cheerleader or an advocate for it? Because in silence and not mentioning programs and not mentioning research, that sometimes does damage to those those um, programs as well. So I, I think that that's something that the public will probably ask next week, in addition to many other questions, some of which he had trouble answering this week. That's a good point. Several Denver area school districts were closed on Wednesday after reports of an armed 18-year-old Florida woman allegedly infatuated with the Columbine shootings was in the metro area. The statewide manhunt that sparked fear in the community ended on Wednesday afternoon. Saturday marks the 20th anniversary of the Columbine shootings, which has drawn intensified national and local attention to the school this week. Patty, uh, it was a surreal week in a lot of different ways, but especially on Wednesday. What does this do to the conversation around Columbine moving forward? Well, it's not just the question about Columbine, although there's, there are things to talk about with that, but just these threats of school shooting, we still don't know enough about what this girl had really said and done. We don't know if she was really threatening people at Columbine or just they knew she'd bought a, gotten on an airplane, was a very disturbed girl, and had a gun. But to hold the entire Front Range hostage, schools in Fort Collins shut down, why, you know, I, and I thought this is bizarre enough that I am thinking, why don't we call out the National Guard? If we can call out the National Guard for the bomb cyclone, can we not call it out and let kids go to school if one really disturbed girl from Florida can hold the entire Front Range hostage, shut down a thousand schools? What are we doing? What lessons have we learned from Columbine? I don't think we're keeping kids safer by doing that. Um, so we are still waiting to learn a lot about this. David, I'm sure, will also weigh in on the gun issue, which is she couldn't have bought a gun in Florida because of laws that were changed after the Parkland shooting. And the fact that 20 years after Columbine, we are tallying up more and more tragic school shootings that haven't been averted is a really sad, sad statement because ha what lessons have we learned? David, uh, some took the occasion of uh, what happened on Wednesday to talk about having, whether it's armed guards or furthering the discussion at schools and what that would take. Uh, I know you've done work uh, talking about that when it comes to uh, training teachers or other professionals at a school. What, is, what, is ha what happened this week? Does it further that conversation? Where do you think it goes from here? Well, sure. As you say, the Independence Institute's FASTER program provides very high-quality training from high-level experts for teachers in and other school personnel in emergency medical care and, and also uh, defensive shooting against a, an armed invader. Um, and as Laura Carno, who runs the program, says, schools should be prepared every day for the possibility that there's someone out there who intends harm to the children there. And, you know, most attacks don't have this, this kind of advance warning. One of the things that's really changed a lot since Columbine for the better is that more people are proactive about speaking up. When they see something, they, they say something. Uh, and that has averted many, many crimes and really saved uh, countless lives. You know, we don't talk about the anniversaries of the school shootings in Pearl, Mississippi, uh, uh, or at, uh, at Sullivan Central High School in, in Tennessee, because those were stopped by 
armed intervention, in one case by a vice principal, in another case by uh, an armed law enforcement officer at the school. And if we think about copying Florida's post-Parkland laws, that's a key thing that they did, is beefing up both the civilian and the, uh, the professional uh, law enforcement armed presence at schools. Eric, I was intrigued by the media reaction, not only to Wednesday, but also to the Columbine anniversary as a whole. Uh, I think Fox and I think other networks locally have uh, decided not to show footage from 20 years ago. Uh, I, I applaud those efforts, but it, it seemed, I guess, um, old. It, it, it seemed like it took a long time to get to that point at the 20th anniversary. Uh, and I'm not damning them. I appreciate the, the, the point they're making. But what do you take from the different reactions around the anniversary and what happened this week? The whole thing is so difficult, so disturbing. Uh, my main personal takeaway on Wednesday was I'm very glad my kids are grown at this point. I don't envy my friend uh, Natasha here, who howls Oliver Six, or uh, with a six-year-old, where you have to get up that morning and explain in you know language a six-year-old can grasp why he's not going to school that that day. It is a different world uh, we are living in. On the one hand, you know, there's a part of me, a rational part of me, that thinks maybe we are in just a cycle of incredible overreaction, and I don't want to be at all cavalier about this, but. You know, the odds of any child being harmed in a school shooting are still, even with all the plethora out there, approximately the same as being struck by lightning. Um, So if you just go with statistics, but statistics don't cover emotion. I think the real tragedy of the last 20 years since Columbine is not only, obviously, the shootings that have happened, the kids that have been killed, the families that have been destroyed, But it's the psychological tragedy as well that we are forcing this generation of kids to grow up with this kind of fear and having to have these kinds of conversations in school and around the breakfast table and other places. I don't know what the answer uh, to it is, but it is a scar um, on this era and this country at the moment. Natasha, 5280 dedicated an entire issue to Columbine and what we have learned as a society and as a community. What's been the reaction to the, to the issue? Well, I think that, that it is still such a topical issue. I mean, as you mentioned, other media outlets are doing coverage as well. In this community, the word Columbine has so much uh, resonance for people in different ways, and, and it's, it's obviously still important. Um, I think one of the things for me that, that's truly um, just just to, we'll be talking about gun control, we will be talking about school safety, we will be talking about these issues again and again and again. The circumstances have changed, but the topics will remain. Um, But to change the narrative just slightly, whenever um, something happens like what happened this week, I'm reminded by the, the, the silent contract that we have with each other to create the society that we have. You know, it might be as simple as let, let's all abide, abide by the traffic signal so we can get to and from work safely. Um, but it's, it's just all the implicit ways that we make agreements with each other to live in a social world. And, um, yeah, some of that went wrong this week, but a whole lot of it went well. Now, I wouldn't have want, wanted to be in the room making the decision about closing schools. I, I applaud the law enforcement efforts to find 
um, as speedy of a, a result to the situation as they could. But I also want to commend just the community as a whole. You know, you saw employers making compensation for employees. You need to bring your kid to school, to work today, bring them. You need to work from home today, bring them. Neighbors reaching out, doing play dates, things throughout our world that even though there was this one thing going extraordinarily wrong, people were making good decisions about how they want to live in their world. So just, I want to take that moment to, to applaud the people who are able to do that. It's an appropriate spotlight. It's, uh, as usual, the, the good news parts of that doesn't usually get the headlines. As well, well said, Natasha. Four of Denver's six mayoral candidates, incumbent Michael uh, Hancock, Lisa Calderon, Jamie Gillis, and Penfield Tate III, participated in the Nine News debate on Wednesday. All six of the candidates participated in a debate in this very studio with yours truly that will broadcast on April 26th at 9 p.m. Growth and how it has been handled and how it should be handled was a key topic in both debates. David, from what we've seen so far in the Denver mayoral race and these issues, are is it is it uh, resounding with voters? Do you think is is it getting kind of the the, the juice an election like this deserves? I haven't been out on the, the streets uh, doing sampling, but I will say that voters who are interested uh, would have benefited a lot from watching that debate, which they can watch on on replays on TV. Cal Clark was very well informed and had good, challenging, interesting, and important questions, and all four of the candidates were were also very articulate and well informed. You have two of the challengers, uh, Gillis and Tate, who are partly in the managerial lane. Is that, that that's what they're a key thing they're offering is better management. Tate also having sort of the uh, the difference between uh, Mayor Pena and Mayor Webb, with the latter being the one who says, "I'm going to be the one who listens to the neighborhoods," instead of having all the big decisions made, uh, you know, around a conference table in the city and county building with the Chamber of Commerce and you know Mr. Big and Mrs. Big, but the regular folks excluded. And then you have Lisa Calderon, I think, taking the, the leftmost lane. She's the only one who uh, uh, favors repeal of the camping ban, and a lot of her uh, argument is she's the candidate of the, the most marginalized people in Denver, the, including but not, not limited uh, to homeless. Uh, one of the most concerning things I heard was Tate and Calderon uh, both want rent control in Denver, and economists disagree on many things, but one thing they're nearly unanimous on is, is you might as well drop a, a bomb on the city that, that destroys all the buildings and leaves the people uh, with rent control. It is incredibly destructive to the housing stock, and it will soon bring to a halt uh, the expansion of new rental properties and the repair and renovation uh, and improvement of existing ones. It's been a disaster everywhere it's tried. It would be horrible if that were ever implemented. Uh, Eric, the rent control apocalypse notwithstanding, what uh, have you taken from the campaign so far for the mayoral race? Which also includes, we should note, Caitlin Heffernan and uh, Stephen Chairman Seku Evans. And if you're looking for some pretty, it's public policy, but if you're looking for some good TV in the 26 to 9 p.m., trust me, it's pretty interesting to have all six of them. Eric. I watch most of the nine uh, news debate, not uh, live, but on, on the web later on. I didn't see anyone really having, of the three challengers, having a breakout moment or, or really using the forum to rise above their competitors. This is clearly a race of Hancock or not Hancock. And the question is, can the not Hancock vote be broken out, broken up among Tate and Calderon and Gillis? Can it get to 50% and presumably well over 50% so you don't have a runoff where Hancock only has to grow his margin by up 
point or two. Uh, I don't know. I do two kinds of sampling. David mentioned being out in, around town. I, I've done that a little more. Uh, and I bump into two kinds of sampling. And again, it's all with Michael Hancock as the pivot point. And one is anybody but Hancock. And that is the dominant sampling I'm doing. But again, I run in a limited circle. We all run in our own bubbles. Um, the second one is, the, the, the opposite opinion is, no, Hancock might have his weaknesses, but none of the other three have impressed me sufficiently to bounce him out of office. And I think that's what this race comes down to, is can one of them or the totality of the three of them offer a compelling case for change in a city that where a whole lot is going well, but the main criticism is, in many cases, it's going too well. Natasha, uh, ballots go out this week. Votes are being cast as we sit here. Uh, what, how do you think it's going to go? I'm going to make a prediction. There is a winner. It is the people of Denver. <laughs> when you have a competitive election like this, you get good ideas. And 5280 actually had a chance to interview all the candidates. We have a story up and actually talk to them about nine key issues that we think are happening in the city right now, including some of the things we've already talked about, growth, infrastructure, um, Initiative 300, and things like that. And, and what I found really interesting in talking to them is they all have big ideas. And they're, they're, I think when you have a competitive election like that, it pushes people to come up with those big think ideas, which could really set a path forward for Denver. And I think that's exciting. I will underscore what Natasha said. This uh, Voters in Denver are lucky, I think, even from connections from this table, uh, not only do you have some great pieces of 5280, Ed Sealever did a great piece of the Denver Business Journal, breaking down a lot of issues, especially transportation. And our own Miss Calhoun's uh, uh, paper, Westward, has great uh, interviews with each of the candidates. Patty, where do you think it's going to go at, from what we know so far? Well, and including Chairman Sekou, do not miss his. It's quite, his use of capital is, is very interesting. What we're, what's making this one different, besides the fact that it's such a robust conversation, which is good, I mean, we've had big groups of mayoral candidates before who've been impressive, the mail-in ballot, the fact that this is one, and I think, I could be wrong, but I think it's the first big contested incumbent election where everyone is getting a ballot at home. So the people who are anybody but Hancock, all they have to do is sit at their kitchen table and decide who they want to vote for or who else they want to vote for. By the same token, that's all a Hancock supporter has to do. But it could really shift the what's going to happen. You don't have to go to a ballot box to vote. So that could really shift it. I think that alone will be the reason we go into a runoff, because there are enough people who are going to say, I want to change. I'm not sure who I want, but I want to change. And I think that'll move it. And of course, all these psilocybin voters will also help put that over the top. <laughs> I'm glad they have a couple of weeks to fill out the ballot, if, uh, if, if that's certainly a voting block. Governor Jared Polis signed Senate Bill 181 this week and said he hopes this will put an end to the oil and gas wars. The measure will add an environmental and public health expert to the Colorado Oil and Gas Conservation Commission and will also give local governments more control on oil and gas activity. Uh, Eric, I couldn't help but roll my eyes, and I, I really liked a tweet that Kyle Clark sent out the, this week that said that whole, you know, Paul says right. this will end the oil and gas wars, and he puts narrator colon. They've only just begun. I think that's exactly it. This is not the end of any war. This is the beginning. Maybe I'm crazy. What do you think? No, you're not crazy. I thought it was a silly comment, quite frankly, on the governor's part. In all my years of doing this show, I think the safest prediction I can make will be that this will not 
emphatically not put an end to the oil and gas wars. It is not another chapter in those wars. It changes the playing field until there is another iteration coming down the road, whether that's at the ballot box uh, or, or somewhere else. The real issue here is what impact these new rules have on the industry and more than that, what impact it has on the financial side of the industry, on the willingness to invest in Colorado, or do does that money just go to other states where perhaps the regulation and the political climate is not what it is now? There are petitions already being talked about, ballot titles being set for an alternative measure uh, on the ballot coming up. Uh, this war is, is, is red hot and is not ending anytime soon. Natasha, what do you make of both Governor Polis's comments and also the fact that we do have a new, pretty extensive oil and gas regulation law of the land? Well, I think it's going to take a little while to sort through exactly how it's going to play out. What I do know is that it's going to shift the conversation from really being centered around the capital into our communities. And what's interesting is that those conversations, what's happened in really the last year and a half to two years, started in our communities. And so now they'll be going out and saying, okay, this might be a different feeling, a different mood, a different way we want to handle this in Boulder County versus well. County versus um, various other places throughout our state. And in some ways that feels that feels very appropriate. Is it different? Yes. Is there going to be a change in the way that this industry operates in this, this state? No doubt. Um, time will tell whether it's a doomsday scenario. <laughs> uh, Patty, it doesn't have a John Williams soundtrack, but it does feel that we're in, full, in line for another big summer sequel of Oil and Gas Wars. What do you think? Well, let's not forget the truce back in 2014 when Polis was persuaded by Governor John Hickenlooper and others to pull back on the two ballots he'd supported, the ballot initiatives he supported. And oil and gas might have been happier with those and actually letting those go through than what they are winding up with four years later. So we're going to continue to have fights. Dan Haley, full employment. Um, I'm sure he enjoyed it sitting around this table a lot more than he did some of the things that have happened to him lately. Uh, indeed, somewhere in a bunker, uh, not enjoying the, the wars. David, any thoughts on this issue? Well, I think Polis was being, asked, the governor was being aspirational about the ending the oil and gas wars because the way you end the end a war is you destroy the enemy, and this is a gigantic step in that direction, which is going to wipe out you know, over the long term uh, new drilling in most of Colorado. Uh, and but, but on the other hand, uh, Representative Rochelle Galindo has a bill that's going to create a new office in the governor's a new couple few folks working in the governor's office so when you lose the good the good paying job that you liked somebody in the governor's office will tell you oh you can just transition <laughs> it's just that simple let's get to our very favorite part of the show disgrace the week as always miss Calhoun, please start us off well i'm sure i'm not the only one who will jump on this but bad news coming from denver airport this week it was not enough that New Belgium opened a new restaurant. That could not, no amount of beer could overcome the bad news from first the fact that the delay that we'd already heard about because of the floor at the, in the Great Hall not being able to sustain the great expectations for to turn it into a shopping mall can't hold it. So it's going to be at least a two-year delay. Good work by Brian Moss. And now we find out the fabulous 14.5 million sign is also not working. Uh, not a good week for DIA. David? Well, the, the delay in this project actually will exceed the extremely long delay for the opening of the airport in general. So things are getting uh, even more, more so than they used to be. Uh, but the ultimate plan is you're going to take the, all the uh, security and check-in and the 
ticket counters up that are now on two floors, jam them all onto one floor, which is going to be very crowded, and then in exchange, after you've gotten your ticket, you have to walk now down to the fifth floor, which will be a shopping mall, in order to get down to the train. So forced crowding for the benefit of shopping mall developers, that's, I think, an ideal metaphor for what the Hancock administration is doing to the city. <laughs> good, good swing around the bar on that one, David. Eric? Well, I'll just real quickly, I'll do my own, but real quickly echo Patty and David. This is, if there's a problem at DIA with security and the setup, fine, fix the problem. This is not the solution. One more shopping mall is not the solution. Let me, since we have a bit of time, switch topics uh, real quick. How about we jump on CU pretty frequently around this show, but how about CSU, where there's a whole dust-up around some student government elections and theft of newspapers. One of the slates uh, running for office at CSU apparently went out early some morning and stole all the copies of the Collegian, or at least many, many copies of the Collegian, because it had a negative story about the financing of this particular slate of candidates. Um, not the way not the way to do things not on campus or in real life natasha i uh, just living in a world where parents have to get up and google how to talk to your kids about things like what happened on wednesday indeed time to see something nice about somebody patty aside from the circus over columbine this week all the memorials and quiet vigils that we hope really commemorate those who passed away 20 years ago in that horrible event i was at history colorado which has a collection of everything that was left on the fence outside Clement Park 20 years ago. And when you want to save it for future generations and realize how life has changed since 20 years ago, it's a pretty astonishing thing. David. The Arvada Center, which is uh, putting on a great musical called Travelin' about Harlem music in the 1930s. It's a six-person, I think, local cast, and they're great. It's outstanding, and I urge everybody to go see it and have some fun. Eric. Let me go to small town Colorado. Craig, Colorado, the editor of the Craig Daily Press, a gentleman named Jim Patterson, published a beautiful, touching letter to his readers announcing a devastating cancer diagnosis. Uh, and I would just say, Godspeed to him, and may we all have such grace and perspective in, in such, a, uh, such a difficult circumstance. Natasha. In a week with so much news that is hard and difficult to read, I was really pleased this morning to look at a story on Denverite about the great question of our lifetimes. Is it faster to take the 16th Street Mall ride or to walk? I'll leave it up to our, our viewers to, to find the answer, but it was just an enjoyable read on what has otherwise been a tough news cycle. It's, it comes down to sometimes the, the, a nice distraction. That's a good <laughs> point. And I want to say something nice about a member of our crew. Greg Klein, is, uh, is, today is his swan song on the crew. He's been part of a crew for many, many years. We're excited that uh, he's off to greener pastures. But, Greg, thanks for keeping everything in balance. If, if the shot looks good, if everything, all the killers look good, you know we've got a good engineer back there, and that's been Greg. So, Greg, thanks so much for everything you've done for the show. I want to remind all of you to be sure to tune in for our next Denver City Council debate tonight at 9 p.m. We'll be looking at District 10 and the at-large candidates. Also, tomorrow night we have a special Colorado memorabilia and collectibles live auction. Tune in or check it out online. Signs, jewelry, collectibles, everything about Colorado, and much, much more. That's Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. That is all the time we have for this episode of Colorado Inside Out. So for everybody here at CPT12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for watching. Good night. Thank you.